Our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, again, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. Um, I mean, we all kind of think Tim's kind of a wimp, though, right? I mean, <laughs> please, no air conditioning. Actually, he did, he did tell that uh, in between services last week, is Tim still in here? Tim, are you? I, I didn't do this in the other services. Um, uh, in between the services, like, he, he literally had to change his shirt. Um, it, was, it was that bad. Um, I mean, you guys have seen me get sweaty, but Tim, that's just, that's just gross. So, <laughs> yeah, there he is. There he is. <laughs> oh, but no, great, great to have uh, you from the Shawnee Mission Campus uh, with us. Uh, I, I've said to several of you, I'm, I feel bad the way that it happened. Like, it shouldn't be that way. Um, and we need you to have a presence there in Shawnee Mission for that community. Uh, and so we love what you're doing. We're proud of what you're doing. Uh, so we're sad that that happened. Uh, but I know, at least for me personally, I'm so glad to see you. Um, it's, just, it's just fun to, to reconnect with old friends. Um, we sent out from this campus a year and a half ago 130 people uh, to go and plant that, that spot. Um, a, another, as Tim said, a growing, uh, thriving church community. Um, and so we're, we're proud of what you're doing, um, but it is, it's also really, really good to, good to see you. Um, and to actually have a full Sunday in July. That's just weird, right? Um, feels good. So, all right. Let me, let me pray for us, um, and we'll, we'll jump in uh, to God's word here. God, we are so grateful that you um, have called us to be your people, your church, your family. God, I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of a church like Christ community with a heart for our city. Um, certainly we're flawed. Certainly we are inadequate in the work that we do. And yet we, um, with joy, get to follow you in that mission. God, I pray that you'd help us to continue to reach our neighbors here in Olathe um, as we grow. Um, help us multiply uh, classroom space like loaves and fishes, God. Um, help us have a space um, for the many people who come. And God, for our Shawnee Mission Campus as well, God, we just pray for, for their continued flourishing. God, give them energy and strength. Church planting is hard, and I know they're tired, but give them joy. Give them more stories like this one from last week, uh, more people who need a church, who need Jesus. And God, we, we pray these things as well for our, our Leewood campus, Brookside, downtown, God, and for all the churches across our city that are eagerly proclaiming the good news of what you have done. God, I pray that we would work well together and with joy see uh, your redemptive mission unfold in our city. And so God, now as we come to these words, um, humble us like a child um, and show us um, your, your better way to live. We trust you for these things, Jesus. Amen. Well, I have always, I've always loved theme parks, especially, especially roller coasters. You know, ever since I was little, I can remember once the kind of the fear began to subside, like just being all in. I, I can remember like, you know, that moment when you're like finally tall enough, right? It's, it's like you've arrived, you're there, you can, you can do it. Nobody's saying no to you. Like there's no, there's nothing set holding you back, right? Well, we're at, we're at that point as a family now. Uh, that David is, he's old enough, tall enough, he can ride pretty much anything. Uh, but Eden, not, not so much. Uh, it makes it a little bit challenging when we go to these things. And so, so last year we went to Worlds of Fun. And in preparation for doing so, we, we gave Eden some serious coaching. 
Like, you know, pick out your thickest shoes, um, you know. Um, we, we did her hair, like just a tiny bit taller, right? A little, little bit of a poof. Uh, we showed her how to stand as straight and tall as humanly possible without technically cheating, because that'd be wrong, right? Um, you know, we walked, we walked through all of it, all of it with her, and she was ready, because, you know, we as a family, the four of us, we're in, we're going to do these things together, and it's going to be great, right? Like Clark, Clark Griswold right here, right? Um, a little bit of that. Uh, had this expectation. And so she, you know, she gets there and we're in line and she, she walks right up to the, like, the security kid holding the stick. He's like three inches taller than Eden is. Um, and she stands so proud, so tall, you know, brave and unaware of what's in store for her. Um, she does it and she, she passes, right? And so we all climb on and we thought we'd pick this one to begin with. Like, I wish, I wish I was making this up. Um, and you all, you're like way ahead of me, okay? You know where this story is going. And so we thought, yeah, let's do the Mamba. That'd be great. You know, a great first roller coaster experience is probably my favorite at, at Worlds of Fun. Uh, and so, you know, I'm sitting next to her because I feel like, you know, as a dad, I want to I wanna sit next to my girl on her first one. And, you know, up we go. Click, 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 you know. Um, anticipating the, you know, 200-story drop uh, in like 0 to 75 and whatever it does. Um, and and as, as we're going up, click, 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 like all of a sudden, I don't know why then, but like there in that moment it dawns on me, because this is last year, she's six years old. <laughs> like, like what, what are we doing? Like, what, how is this possibly a good idea? And, I, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting here next to her and I look over and never in my life has she looked tinier, right? Uh, she's so small and so little over there and the bar like that's supposed to like hold her in, like she's got like a mile of wiggle room. <laughs> click, 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 right? And there's, there's no way that bar's gonna hold her in. Like I'm picturing her back there somewhere. I mean, just because we could get her on uh, doesn't mean we should have, Right? And so, like, we, we get to the top and begin to plummet, and I literally grab onto her, squeeze her as tight as I can, hold her down, right, and, and fight against the G-forces for, you know, a hundred really, really long seconds. <laughs> and, of course, by the end, she loved it. Probably thought it was weird that I was holding onto her so tight, but she, I mean, she loved the whole experience. Uh, me, on the other hand, I mean, talk about emotional damage. <laughs> she was fine. I was a mess, right? <laughs> All because... All because I wanted her to be just like a half inch taller, right? Just a little bit older. And I, and I can remember so clearly as a kid, man, everything was about that. If I could just be a little bit older, a little bigger, a little smarter, a little stronger, a little bit further along, like then life would be better finally, right? The kids, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you feel, yes, I just, man, a little bit more, right? But if you were listening to what Jesus just told us, as Aliana read those words for us, I mean, did you pick up that Jesus actually says it's, yeah, it's the exact opposite of that. Um, which, like if you've been studying Matthew with us, right, it shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus regularly says, yeah, whatever you think is like normal expectations for living, flip it upside down, right? He throws everything, this kingdom that he's bringing, it's, it's completely upside down. He is, he is a Messiah unlike any other possible expectation could fulfill, Right? And so it's almost like in this moment with the disciples, Jesus is standing there holding the stick, seeing who gets on for the kingdom of heaven. But instead of making sure you're tall enough, he's making sure you're, you're short enough. Because with Jesus, only a child gets in. 
Only a child gets in, not the bigger, the stronger, not the smarter, not the, not the one who's always right, who, who has life figured out, uh, not, not the one who, who just looks like everything's perfect. No, not, not with Jesus. With Jesus, he says, no, get smaller, get younger, become less. Only, only a child gets in. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A kid. And the only way any of us have any chance of entering into that kingdom is to become a little more like that. So, so again, we're in Matthew 18. We've been studying this for, for quite some time. And, and in some ways, like, this, this story is like, it's sort of shocking. Um, but it's also like, I don't know, just like par for the course for us humans. Because the way this story begins, it's, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, just look how messed up we are as, as people, okay? Uh, think about it. The disciples just saw Jesus transfigured before them. They saw his glory, his divinity, all of it on display, like this incredible, whatever it looked like. We don't, I mean, an incredible scene, right? And, and Jesus has told them over and over again, follow me, right? And take up your cross and, and come with me to my death, right? And what feels like five minutes later, they're arguing about which one's best. Now, I'm, I'm better. Like, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a better disciple, guys. I mean, Jesus, I, he's my favorite, right? And even like, well, we three, we got to go up to see the transfiguration. You all have, I mean, they're, they're literally having this argument amongst themselves when they, they go up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you settle a bet for us, right? Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, it's a, it's a ridiculous question, and yet, like, I could just see us asking that, right? That's what we do. We all, we all want to figure out who, who we're better than, uh, who, who we can look down upon, and I mean, you've got your list, right? I've got mine. You know, you're a better coworker, a better employee than somebody. You're, you're a better neighbor than, than that neighbor. You're, you're a better spouse, right? That gets a little tense, doesn't it? Um, you're, you're just a better Christian. You're a better human, I mean, a lot of you are really relieved and find out that you're a better parent than me, right? Because of the roller coaster thing. <laughs> like, every one of us has a list. Like, don't think you don't. You've got a list of people that you are convinced, I'm, at least I'm not like those people, right? At least I'm not like her or him. I don't do that. And so, and so I'm good, right? We all, we all have the list. And so, of course, they just, you know, they just ask Jesus like a bunch of idiots, right? Who, who is it really? Who really is better? And Jesus calls up a child, nameless in the story, just a nobody, just a, just a kid, like any, any one of you sitting out here, calls the child up and says to the disciples, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And do you see what Jesus did right there? Like he hasn't answered their question yet. Like he's not saying who's the greatest. He's saying, you're worried about who's greatest? Like, you're assuming that you get into this kingdom of mine? Like, let me, let me stop you right there, right? It, it, don't worry yet about who's, who's greatest. First of all, you're not even getting in unless, you, unless you're more like, more like this child. Because Jesus, according to him, only a child gets in. It's not being bigger, older, smarter, or more spiritual. It's getting smaller. That counts. <sighs> Well, Nathan, that's just crazy talk, right? Because like we adults, we, we're just convinced, like, we're, you know, I pay the bills, right? I make the decisions. 
I've got my life together. I, I, you know, I'm in charge. I, I have control. I have authority. I have, I have all these kinds of things. And so, of course, I mean, kids, and you know this, right? You, you feel adults marginalize you, right? Minimize you, push you to the side. Because we're convinced we're better. So why would Jesus say that kids are better, right? Like, what's he getting at there? Well, I can tell you this. I mean, I think, I think we tend to think, um, and some of you maybe, maybe even went there, like, well, kids are just, they're just so adorable, right? They're so innocent and sweet, and, you know, they haven't been sort of tainted by the world yet. I mean, they're like this guy, right? I mean, just... <laughs> it's me, by the way. Uh, so to answer the question you've all been asking, yes, I've always been this good looking. Um, but like you look at that face and you're like, yeah, man, that, of course he's, he's greater, right? There's so much innocence there. Well, what do you think, parents? Like, are your kids innocent? I mean, no, right? They're, they're little sinners. And you didn't even have to teach them how, right? I mean, if, if you want proof of a sin nature, just tell a three-year-old to share, right? That's all you got to do. Or tell them no. Watch them take something from someone else. Like, nobody has to teach any of that. So yeah, yeah, okay, they're cute, okay? And no, they're probably not as rotten as the older people in this room, right? Us grown-ups. But they're not innocent. That's not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, what Jesus gets at here is much, much harder than like simple childlike innocence. Because what does Jesus say? It's in, in verse four. Jesus is going to describe it for us. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, okay, again, parents, maybe some of you are thinking like, have you met my child, right? Because kids, kids aren't humble, right? I mean, I, I, kids, I don't mean any disrespect, but like, especially like when you're really young, your entire universe revolves around you. Like, you're the only person, like, like, what does Jesus mean? Like, kids, they're, they're not like that. They're kind of, you know, narcissistic, aren't they? <laughs> kids, you didn't hear that, right? I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean anything by it, but that's, uh, we're just, that's how we're developmentally. So what is, what does Jesus mean when he says that? I mean, we adults are just as bad. We're just better at hiding it, right? Well, that's, that's not what Jesus means when he talks about a child's humility there. It's not a chosen humility for a child. It's a position of humility. I mean, that, that word there, it simply means lowly. Like, you know, the forgotten, the disregarded, the marginalized, the, the pushed out, the unimportant. It's not, a, it's not a choice that kids are humble. It's simply their lack of power. The lack of control, the lack of authority of saying in their life. It's that, that children are inherently dependent like, like, they absolutely need, and they need everything. And they can't do it on their own. And frankly, they, they know it. They may fight against it sometimes, right? And so that's what Jesus means. He looks, looks at this one who's utterly dependent on another human, who cannot, who cannot survive without the benefit of someone else in their lives. And he says, learn from that. Be like, be like that one. And then, you know, maybe... Maybe you'll get in. So, so what does this humility mean? 
Like, what, is it, what does it look like for a kid to be humble, right? Because that's a, that's a big word. It means a lot of different things. But like, what is Jesus getting at in this kingdom, this, this kind of humility? Well, let me, let me touch on, on three things that I think are, are inherent uh, to, a, to a, child's, a child's humility. Three things. First, they have the humility to ask. They have the humility to wonder. And they have the humility to love. We, we forget that those three things all take a deep amount of humility, don't they? But they are at their, at their very, very, very core. And, and while this is not a call for us to just to be simplistic, right? Um, and yet kids, kids, the grown-ups in this room have a lot to learn from you in this. Because you kids, you have the humility to ask. That's the first thing. Every parent knows it, right? Um, and is exhausted by it and has probably used the phrase a thousand times, would you just stop asking me, Right? Because it's constant. They're always, they're always asking. Because they know they can't without. Like they, they, they can't do it. Like they don't, especially like young, the younger you are, the, the more helpless, the more dependent, the more needy you, you are. They just, they know that they need and so they ask. They don't think about asking typically, right? They don't hesitate. They're not afraid. They just ask, right? All the time, Right? And transparently, I'm just saying, like, by the time you get to my age, and maybe this is part of this, I'm sure, is just my personality, um, but I think it's something we all deal with. Like, I, I hate asking for help. I mean, absolutely hate it. Like, I would rather suffer, I would rather be wrong, honestly, uh, than, than admit to another human being that I, that I need something. I mean, I mean, truthfully, like, there, there are times, like, Kelly will come out to the garage, and I'm, like, getting our, uh, in the, the spraying, getting the, the glass a huge table off the wall that I've hung in. I'm like doing this. Like, do you need some help? No, right? Like, because I, I, don't, I don't want to need anything from another person ever. Hey, dad, would you tie my shoe? No hesitation. No shame. No fear. They know they need something. And they trust you to fulfill it. And so they ask and then they receive. But when's the last time you've had to ask anyone for anything? Like, when, when's the last, last time that you've been truly dependent on another person? I mean, I, I would guess for many of us, well, like years, maybe? Which means for most of the adults in this room, we are severely out of practice. We don't need anything. We don't, we don't have to trust anyone for, for anything. And Jesus, like right out of the gate, like fundamental to who he is, says, ask me, right? Trust me. And I, I'm not even sure I know what those words mean anymore, right? I'm so out of practice. Only a child gets in because they ask to get in. Second, second, they have the humility to wonder. It takes humility to wonder, doesn't it? I mean, you see it in their eyes, right? There's no, there's no question that kids are filled with wonder so often. But it takes humility, right? Humility to be okay not having all the answers. Humility to, to, to you know, have the, sort of the wiggle room of, you're just not, you're not sure how the world works, but you're, you're okay with mystery. Like, like it's, it's, it's okay for some reason with a kid. And kids are, I mean, they're just awesome at it. And it's honestly, it's one of my favorite things about hanging out with kids, having my own kids. I love experiencing life through, through their eyes because everything is fantastic again. Like all of a sudden, everything I'm bored with, right, or cynical about, which is a long list, sadly, in my life, 
it's new and fresh and exciting for them. I mean, like this, this past uh, month ago, uh, we went to the Carlsbad Caverns National Park. It's the, it's the largest cave room in, in North America. Uh, you can fit like two U.S. Capitol buildings in this one room, a thousand feet under the ground. It's pretty amazing. Um, and and to, to experience that with them, like as we're hiking down through the entrance of the cave, a couple miles into this, this massive expanse underneath the earth, right? And along the way, I mean, Kelly and I, we're enjoying it. We're amazed by it. We're also like trying to figure it out, right? Well, let's see, how did this happen? And we're analyzing every little thing. And the kids are just, they're just awestruck to be in a world that they've never experienced before. And it's, it's not just big things, right? It's like a, a kid notices the plane in the air, right? Or the, the worm trying to cross the sidewalk. It's, it's anything. They are alive with wonder. I, l- I listened to a, a podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, of Indy Wilson. Uh, I, I mentioned him a couple weeks ago. He writes scary stories for kids. And, and I was drawn into this, this, the way he describes why he writes the kind of stories he does. And he, he analyzes it. I mean, kids just love fantasy stories, right? Magic and, and all those things. But what he, what he goes to just blew me away. He's like, but we, we live in a fantastic world. Like, like we, don't, we don't have to escape to Narnia or a galaxy far, far away. Like there is a cosmic battle of ultimate good versus ultimate evil all around us. And the world is, is fantastic. Like we, we, don't, we don't have to invent it. We just have to have eyes to see it. And kids, they're just really good at seeing it. And, and so to say to a child, you know what? There's a God who loves you. A God who, who is willing to cross heaven and earth just to be with you to rescue you. Yeah, okay, maybe they're a little bit gullible. But you know what? Maybe they, maybe they just have better eyes than I do. Better eyes to see a world that's bigger than I try to crunch it into this little finite space. A poet once said, the earth has music for those who listen. And kids, they listen. They have the humility to wonder. And they get in because they want to get in. And lastly here, they have the humility to love. Humility to love. I mean, like we romanticize love, we idolize love, but I mean, true love is, is humiliating, right? It is deeply humbling because you're at, you're at the expense of, of, of your beloved, right? And you're, you're connected in this, this relationship that's in some ways outside of you, but also deeply intimate with you. And the Pharisees in this, this story, Right? They're, not, they're not in our text today, but that's, that's always the backdrop for Matthew. The Pharisees are the bad guys. They're, like, they're the religious leaders. They're obsessed with all the rules, keeping all the rules, making all the rules. They want their power and they hate Jesus and they will do anything to destroy him, right? And it's not, it's not that rules are unimportant, but it's, it's clear with Jesus and with a child, the relationship just matters more. Like a child prefers intimacy over certainty. Like, don't they? Like, you just, you just see that. You know that. I mean, even if you're like, even like a tiny bit familiar with like attachment theory, right? And how important it is for kids at an early age. I mean, for human development as a whole, like you, they have to be in relationship with one another. Like it's, it's not a negotiable, right? It's, it's one of the most fundamental things. And in fact, I mean, you see it like in kids' eyes. My kids are still, I mean, they're nine and seven, but they still process the world in terms of relationship, right? They want to know, okay, so grandma is daddy's mommy um, and Uncle Danny is mommy's brother, right? Every, everything for them comes back to relationship, like nothing is more important to ha- understanding how the world works than knowing that I'm safe, I'm loved, that there's people around me, that there's a community of, of space. Like it's, it's all about the relationship. 
And it's, it's clear when we, we get to the disciples, right? Like Jesus, he's not calling us into a new set of rules or, or a list of beliefs that we have to perfectly check off, right? That's not, that's not what he's doing. And I'm not minimizing rules or beliefs, but he's calling us first into a relationship of trust and dependence, of wonder and love. And children are humble enough to pursue it. Because that's how they see the world anyway. Only a child gets in. Which feels like the majority of us in this room are in deep trouble, right? Like, if, if, that's, if that's true, um, if children really are greater and I have to become more like a child in order to get in, how do I get younger? Well, I'm glad you asked. Last Sunday, we asked some of our kids to give us a little advice. Let's watch. If Jesus were here today, what is a question you would want to ask him? I would ask him, uh, can you really walk on water? Dad, I love him. Can you really come back from the dead? Uh, how did you get down here? Um, when are you going to bring down heaven to earth? I don't know. When's your birthday? How did it feel to die on the cross? What's your favorite drink? What would it be like in heaven? I want to ask him, are you uh, going to come back again? I love Jesus. Alright, what is so great about being a kid? Um, you don't have to work. <laughs> um, not having to go to meetings and stuff. <laughs> because they play around and like jump around. Coming to mom and dad. Uh, have lots of fun and especially uh, getting into trouble. That you don't have to do so much work. Lots of kids believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is wisdom. What is something that your mommy or daddy could do to act more like a kid? Like my dad dances uh, like all crazy sometimes. <laughs> they could eat more candy. Um, bases, climb more. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to think of them. Uh, well, they could not clean up as much. I don't know. Um, they could like go to school with us and do fun things. Forgive everybody that they see. Okay, it's not all great advice, right? <laughs> But I love seeing that, right? Because you just, again, you see it from their eyes, um, their perspective. And so how, how do I get younger? Again, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, this isn't a theoretical question. This is a matter of life and death. Um, how, how do I get younger? 
Well, two things, I think, are in this, this story for us. They're pretty simple. You have to get smaller and you have to love bigger. Get smaller and love bigger. Get smaller. That's, that's the most obvious, right? That's what Jesus, I mean, just flat out says, right? Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourself. Get smaller. Don't seek to be the greatest in the first place. Stop obsessing over your list of who's better than, right? Try, stop trying to find your, your safety and security and hope and, and who you're, you know, on this different plane with or keeping up with the people on Facebook. You know, we, we get smaller. I mean, C.S. Lewis is brilliant on this subject. I love him and I hate him. Here's what he says. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize one is proud and the biggest step too. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. I kind of hate him, right? Because like some of you have been listening to this whole time like, man, I wish my arrogant friend could hear this, Right? You have that, again, it's your list, right? Because you're, you're not as arrogant as that person, right? Like, well, yeah, you are. And the moment you think you're not, you're in really deep trouble. Because that, that's what humility is. Like, it's, it is always elusive, right? The, the moment you think you grab onto it, you've lost it, right? And you keep running after it, and then it flies away again, over and over and over again. I mean, did, um, I hesitate to go here. Um, did anyone happen to see the, uh, the interview this past week with one of our presidential candidates? I'm not trying to be political here, just for the record, okay? Um, but it just shows like how elusive humility is. Like the, again, the moment you think you have it, it's gone, okay? And so uh, the, the interviewer said, uh, you're not known to be a humble person, uh, which is interrupted by the candidate, which is great. Um, and let me just read. This is an exact quote. I think I am actually humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. <laughs> now, again, I'm not making a political statement, okay? Save your emails. I'm not going to read it anyway. Um, <laughs> please. And, and besides, I'm not even going to tell you who said it, okay? Right? sure you'll never guess. Um, but like, I mean, that's the thing, right? And I'm not trying to point fingers at somebody else, right? That's what we do. It's like, you, we just assume we have it, and the moment we do, it's gone. Like, you're an arrogant person, right? I am. I'm, I am self-absorbed. I always think I'm right. My opinions are better than anybody else's, right? I know the best way that I should live, uh, and, you know, and just get out of my way, right? That, and that, we, we are deep, I am a deeply arrogant person. Pride fills my life more than I would ever care to admit. And I think it's like the chief of all the, the vices, right? It's the, the sin that all the other sins come out of because I think I know better than everybody else, including God. But, but humility, I mean, Lewis, uh, he goes on to describe how, uh, humility isn't like thinking badly of yourself. We sometimes think that, well, you know, I just, like it's self-loathing or insecurity, um, the reality is what Lewis points out is that's just another form of pride, right? Because you're still obsessed with yourself. Even if you think poorly of yourself, you're still, you're number one, right? Even if you hate you. And so what he says rather is true humility is actually, it's, it's self-forgetfulness. It's like the joy of actually forgetting about you for a minute. Or, or you're just, you're not, you're just not obsessed with, with, with your own, you know, PR and your own status and the people around you. You just, 
you're able to forget for a moment. How do you do that? How do you get smaller? Well, you become a child. I mean, going, going back to this text, let me read one scholar's reflections on, on this passage. He says, the little child could do nothing to bring about his status. All that the child is and has comes from someone else. And Jesus' followers are not great achievers who carve out for themselves a niche in the kingdom of heaven. For all that they have and all that they are depend upon the heavenly father. I mean, did you catch that? Like, okay, so only a child gets in, but, but Jesus actually invites us to be born again. Like to, to start over, to have a, a new and better childhood with, with a perfect heavenly father. Not a father who's going to hurt us or let us down or disappoint us or you know, put us on a roller coaster before we're ready. Right? A, perfect, a perfect heavenly father. Like a, a Christian. I mean, please hear, a Christian is not someone who has all the answers or thinks they do. It's not someone who, who has a perfect life, who, who looks right, right, all the time. What Jesus says here, a Christian is a needy child. A Christian is someone who is utterly dependent on someone else, who knows that they cannot be good enough, that they can't achieve it on their own, that they can't, they can't carve out their life experience. They, they, they need. I mean, if you want to know the definition of a Christian, that's, that's where it begins, is somebody who actually just knows how messed up they are or gets a glimpse of it and cries out to someone else to fill in the gap. That, that's, that's what Jesus is getting. And that, I mean, that is, that's the gospel. And then, and then to remind myself, if I want to get small, to remind myself every day of what Jesus has done. Because the gospel makes you small, doesn't it? Like the fact, I mean, if you, if you know the story, right, the good news, what Jesus has done, that, that for God to save me, I mean, God who can do anything, right? God who is powerful and mighty and just, the creator of everything, the only way he could rescue me was for him to come to this earth as a human, die on a cross, take all of my shame and guilt and brokenness upon himself, come up out of the grave, like that's it. That, that was the only way he could save me. There's no room for pride in the kingdom of God. Like that's, that's really it, right? This is, it doesn't fit. Because the only way into this kingdom is to say to somebody else, I need. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I am broken and I need grace. The gospel makes us small. It also makes us big because he was glad to do it. But his, his love is actually big enough to accomplish that and for those of us who've experienced that love, right? A love that makes you small and then so big to be invited into his family. That means you and I can love bigger as well. Get smaller and love, love bigger. Because what does Jesus say next? We haven't gone into these verses, but look at the next, the next part here. Verse five, Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. I mean, think about that when you push children away what the opposite of that is, right? You're pushing Jesus away. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That seems a little harsh, right? But listen, listen to what happens in the next chapter. So there's a story that kind of uh, is an example of what Jesus is talking about here. It's in, it's in chapter 19. 
Um, Matthew tells us that then children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he may, might lay his hands on them and pray. The dis- disciples rebuke the people, right? And you, can, you can hear the rebukes like, Jesus, he doesn't have time for this. Right? Get those kids out of here. They're too loud, noisy, or in the way, right? That's what the disciples are doing. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Love bigger. Like if you want to get younger, let the little children come. Like receive them, love them, pursue them, like welcome them. And, and kids, kids, the grownups in this room, I, we have so much to learn from you. I, I mean that. We need, to, we need to, to take time to get to know you, uh, to know your name, to know your story, know what you're excited about, to see your faith on display. I need to see that. I need to see it in my own kids' lives. I need to see it in you. The grownups in this room are desperate for it because we lose sight of it. We've forgotten how how to need. We need to see your faith in action. And if we neglect them, Jesus says, right? If we refuse them, if we cause them to sin, it's better to have a big old rock tied around your neck and be thrown into the deepest sea. Right, which again, it seems pretty harsh. And, and yet this, this is the family that he's talking about. Right, if this, if this is your church, this isn't like some theoretical thing. This is, this is who we're called to be, a family of, of families that, that these kids here, they, they belong to you, right? Whether, whether you know them or not, whether you like kids or not, whether you think, well, you know what? I did that already. I'm done with kids, right? Or, or, or maybe on the other side, right? You're, maybe you're single and you wish you had a family. You're unable to have kids. And I don't, I don't want to minimize the pain that that would be for you. But you have a family, God doesn't save us as individuals. He saves us collectively as a people, yes, individually, but brought into a community of people where there's lots of you know, moms and dads and aunts and uncles and, and cousins and sisters and brothers, and, and we're, we're stuck with each other, right? We're, we're a family. And kids, students, I mean, look around. Okay, I know you don't know everyone in here. And I, I know some of the adults look a little, a little weird. Um, probably even a little scary. That's because some of them are, both of those things. Um, but just like, just like your family with us, like we're family with you. And you don't, you don't get to pick your family. We're, we're together. God has, has brought us together. And, and kids, students, you are not the church of tomorrow. Don't let anybody tell you that. Don't let them. You're the church of right now because you're here. You belong here as much as anybody else. And we will do anything we can to nurture you in your faith to strengthen you, to help you grow up loving Jesus and loving his people. And, and kids, students, like that's reciprocal. We need you to commit to us, to helping us, to nurturing our faith, letting, letting us see your, your questions and your, your joy and your wonder um, and your craziness and all of it. We, we need that as a people. I mean, studies, studies show that children and students who worship with their families are most likely to hang on to faith when they're older. Um, the kids are in this, in this room, in this building, they need to see your faith. They need to say, see that you take this seriously. And not just you, but other adults. Like this isn't, it's not just a kid's story, right? That you, that you want to sing praises to this God, that you want to bend your life to this, this book, that you want to submit to this Savior. They, they need to see that in all of us. And I, and I know that it's hard, right? It's hard to do. It's hard on parents, it's, it can be hard on the congregation. It can be hard on me, right? Because kids are loud, sometimes louder than me, right? But listen, and, and I, I mean this fully, um, even, even noting that there's no one more distracted by it than I am, that every time you hear a baby cry in this room, 
Every time you see a child squirm or talk, you know, be a kid, right? Every time you see a teenager who, like, you know they don't really want to be here, right? Like, stop and praise God for that. I mean, rejoice in the little squirms, right? And the, and the little noises. I mean, that, those, those are children that are growing up, understanding and, and seeing that Jesus is for them. That, that, that church is for them, that they, that they belong and that we're, we're a family together and we, that we'll do anything for one, for one another and that we'll always be family together no matter, no matter what. Love them, get to know them, pursue them, talk to them. I mean, I can tell you one of the greatest joys I have as a, as a parent, um, especially as my kids get older, um, one of my absolute favorite things is when I see my friends, like that close community of people around me, investing in my kids, pursuing them, talking to them, getting down on their knees, asking Eden how she's doing, like what she's excited about, what she's scared of, and, and actually listening to her. Uh, or, or, you know, about, about a month ago, my best friend from college was in town and I uh, hadn't seen him in a really long time, but he played catch with my son. And I, I roughhoused with his little tiny daughters, right? And like a week later, he sent David some baseball cards, like some old Royals cards. He lives in Minneapolis, you know, um, sent him here. And it's like, it's stupid. Like, who cares? Like, I'm sure he didn't even hardly think about that. And yet, when I opened that package and I saw that for my son, I mean, that's just, like, I'm not alone as a parent, right? And I, and I feel that in, in so many of my close friends right here and uh, the campus pastors and our families, we spend time together. It's like, I, I need, I mean, what parent is not feeling like afraid or alone or guilty like all the time, right? We, we need this. And not only does it say to me that I'm not alone, it said to, said to David that he's not alone. That there, there are other adults that he can trust, that he can care for, that love him, that love Jesus, who will pursue him. I can't think of much, much better moments for me as a parent, as a dad. And let me even just say, for those of, for those of you who are older here, and I'll let you define what I mean by older, because I don't want to offend you any more than I already have, or will in just a moment. Um, <laughs> but I, I understand the temptation to say, well, you know, I've got grandkids, I'll focus there. I, but generally, I've, I've, I've done it, right? I, I've, I've had the little kid stage, and... I graduated out of it sort of thing. Um, and let me, let me just say, I, I mean, I understand why you might feel that way. Um, and I, I say this with all respect, but the reality is you're not done until you're dead. And the fastest way, I'm convinced, the fastest way to speed that process is to check out. I mean, you, you see it, right? You hear those stories that like, it's almost, it's almost like if you say, you know, I'm gonna sit on the bench for a while. Jesus is just like, you know what? I'm, you're just gonna get out of the game, right? I make room for somebody else. Um, we're called, you're never done. And I mean this as a parent here with young kids. And I mean, look around. There are a lot of parents in this room and a lot of young kids in this church. You who have done this, you're the smartest people in the room. Like, like we can't do this without you. You've, you've done it before and you haven't screwed it up too terribly, right? Uh, we need to learn from you. We will, please, for my sake, for the sake of the other families in this, please, please don't check out. Help us. Help our kids. Help us figure out what parent, how to, how to do this. We need your help. Let the children come. If you want to get smaller, if you want to get younger, get smaller and love bigger. Spend, spend time with kids. Spend time with our students. And we always need help, right? You know that if you've been around any like that, we're, we're always asking for help. And that's not a complaint. It's just the reality. Like the children are coming, right? Um, a lot of them. 
And we, we need to engage. We want to love them. We want to care for them. We want to provide a safe space for them to enjoy, to like have fun coming to church and to learn who Jesus is in a place that's safe and good. Help us do that. This is your family. And I promise you'll be changed in that, in that process. Like if you, if you really commit to it, take it seriously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change you as much as you're going to affect and change them. Because that's, that's what Jesus says, right? We need to see a kid's faith. We need to be humble like a child. Only a child gets in. You gotta get smaller and love bigger. And again, going back to the story, right? I just, I picture Jesus saying that. The crowd's not having any, any context. For, I mean, they're just like blown away. They don't, like a kid really, right? And imagine what's like that kid standing there. Like how, that's kind of like awkward but proud at the same moment. Like, you know, me, Jesus? Um, like, like this child? Um, but you know, Jesus says that. It, it just blows me away at the story. Like we, I forget this. Like Jesus actually knows um, what it's like to be a child. But that's, that's how he came. Like he knows what it's like to be utterly needy, absolutely dependent, to come as a newborn baby. Can you believe God did that, right? To, abs- to need everything from his parents, right? And kids, Jesus knows what it's like to be marginalized, right? To be pushed, to be forgotten by the adults, right? He's, he's been there. He knows what it's like to be told what to do over and over by your, by your parents. He knows what it's like to argue with your brothers and sisters. He knows what it's like to have all these other adults like trying to speak into your life. Jesus, he gets it. But still he came as a child so that we could become children. That he, he came so that we could be welcomed into his family. That he came to die and to, to come back to life. So that all of our arrogance and pride, all of my self-sufficiency and over-realized independence, my lack of wonder, my lack of trust, my lack of love, that he could forgive me for all of that and call me his child. That we were welcomed in, not, not, not as slaves, not merely as subjects, but as sons and daughters into this kingdom. For Jesus humbled himself to the lowest place so that you and I could get in. Only a child gets in and yet he welcomes us. Let's pray. Father God, you, you long to make children out of all of us. God, I, I pray that instead of hearing that simply as a, oh, well, I've got to humble myself and, you know, try harder and make it work. God, I pray that I pray that instead we'd hear that as an invitation into a place of joy to be a kid again. Knowing, knowing that someone else is in charge. Knowing, knowing that no matter what happens, that you are good and Heavenly Father will always do whatever is best for us. That you care for our needs, you love us and the people around us more than any of us possibly could. That you are that kind of Father. You will never let us down, never betray us, never leave us. And that that's what Jesus has done for us. God, I pray that we would enter as children with joy. And God, I pray too for the kids in this room, the students in this room and in this building that are part of our family. God, I pray that they would know your love through your people. God, I pray that we'd be a church that welcomes all, that rejoices, that celebrates, that gets down on our, our knees and gives a lot of high fives. God, we want to be that place because that's, that's the family you've built. And so we trust you for these things, Lord Jesus. We know that they're only through your death and resurrection on our behalf. And so, God, I pray that we would come now um, in a moment uh, to to worship, to delight um, in you, our, our Father. We pray this in Christ's name.